Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. Today we're reading short and deep. Born Tired by James D. Ellsworth. This is first published in The Black Cat, September 1901. The Black Cat didn't use a standard uh, table of contents page. They put their contents on the cover, um, which I guess some magazines do or did. Um, but uh, I, I, I just love reading Black Cat stories because they're so short. They're sometimes very weird. Sometimes they're Western. Sometimes they're science fiction. But it's a, it's, I always say it. I think it's still true. Uh, it's a, sort of a forerunner for weird tales. This story is not a weird tale as far as I can tell, although it's pretty funny. And it's kind of strange. <laughs> it's more like a fairy tale in my view. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm not super familiar with the author. Um, apparently you are. Well, I'm not familiar with the author, but I, I got to wondering uh, who this guy is. Uh, and I think I, I tracked him down. Mm-hmm. Um, James D. Ellsworth is pretty much nobody in terms of fantasy and science fiction writing. But there was a man named James D. Ellsworth who is one of the pioneers of public relations. Mm. He he was uh, an itinerant. He was weak as a youth. Um, you know what? I'd, I'd rather tell you about him after we've read the story because mm. there are so many connections between the James D. Ellsworth that I found mm. and the main character in the story that it would be, I think, fun to, to come to that. Right. Okay. Shall we? Begin with the story? Yes, please. Uh, will you read it in full for us? <laughs> yes, it's short, blessedly. Born Tired by James D. Ellsworth. The Pacific Mail steamship Peking, which sailed for Hong Kong last month, carried 347 passengers of various nationalities. In that whole number, there was one, a Chinaman, who left no friends behind, and yet he will be missed from Maine to California. Ah Wong, the exceptional man among several hundred ocean voyagers, would be exceptional in any community on the face of the globe. He carried with him, in letters of credit, a fortune that will keep him in luxury for the rest of his days, earned without work in a unique profession which he invented himself. He belongs to a race that has long been credited with a peculiar aptitude for ways that are dark and tricks that are vain, but Ah Wong's ways have been so much darker than those of his fellow countrymen that he is the most cordially hated man that has ever been smuggled over the Canadian border. Ah Wong is the son of an actor, since dead, who performed in one of the minor theaters of Canton installment plays that lasted for a month. Ah Wong is also the grandson and great-grandson of actors and from his earliest youth has shown marked ability in the same line as he made devil faces at his mother, frightening her half out of her diminutive shoes before he was a year old. He soon became unpopular with his family, who regarded him as having been born tired. But it was thought that his inherited talents could be counted upon to provide handsomely for his parents in their old age. 
but disappointment attended their expectations at every step. When the boy was old enough to go to school, he began to limp so badly that he had to be carried in the arms of a servant. Soon afterward, he appeared to be subject to sudden attacks of blindness, so that all thought of providing him with a regular education had to be indefinitely postponed. Then his father, in his leisure time, undertook to teach him by rote the text of the ancient celestial tragedies and would harangue at the top of his voice for hours together. It was all breath wasted, for after the first few words, Ah Wang's hearing would become blunted, and he would sit in passive somnolence with a curtain of silence between himself and the noise of talk. Ah Wang's stomach seemed to be the only part of his anatomy that remained in good working order. And in this, the family rejoiced, believing that if his appetite remained good, the time would come when he would outgrow his physical defects. Many years passed. The actor father was gathered to his father's. And Ah Wong, instead of being a prop for the support of his widowed mother, was a troublesome burden. He was now believed to have been born lazy, he was more unpopular than he made when he made devil faces at her as a baby, so his mother, exercising her right as head of the house, called a family council to sit upon his case. The wise old lady strongly hinted that it might be well to put him out of his misery permanently. Possibly she might have found someone to hold a sword if he would consent to fall upon it, but the uncles and cousins had another plan. They took up a collection among themselves, and with this money, Ah Wong was sent across the ocean to America. Doubtless, he would be well cared for there, and in any event, he would be unable to return. It all turned out as they had said. Ah Wong was unloaded in Boston from the underground railway like a lump of lead. Taken to some distant relatives, he ate their rice, drank their tea, and smoked their tobacco for several years and earned the title of the laziest man in the world. When told that he must go to work, he was too lazy to refuse, but somehow he never did the work. When he was kicked out of one store, he quietly settled himself in another, and when his distant relatives said disagreeable things, his hearing became dulled so that he was not disturbed. His needs were few, and the burden of his food and tobacco was not a heavy one but his perpetual idleness was a constant annoyance to his cousins, who at last lost patience and began to talk of sending him back to China. Then the deafness left Ah Wong. He did not want to hear that talk, but in spite of his infirmities, he could not help it. With China came thoughts of falling on swords and all that sort of thing. So he promptly told his cousins that he would soon be able to do something for himself but he did nothing until Sam Chin got caught pounding a neighbor with a flat iron and was sure to get six months in the House of Correction. Sam Chin could not afford to waste so much time as it would mean the loss of all his laundry customers. While he was out on bail awaiting trial, he said that he would rather pay a lazy Chinaman $500 to go to jail than go himself. With laughs and jeers, Ah Wong was advised to apply for the place, and when he gravely nodded his head, his cousins laughed till they doubled up like jackknives. Nevertheless, it was all arranged, though the price was only half of what Sam Chin had jokingly offered. When the day of the trial came, Ah Wong was in the clothes of the other. 
the painted face of Ah Wong was like the face of Sam Chin, and the deception was not discovered. Ah Wong was pleased with his bargain when the money was paid and securely hidden, for six months is not long in a man's life, and he was told that in the house of correction, a good bed and plenty of food are provided. He had not been told that Sam Chin's sentence demanded hard labor. And for the first time in his life, to his disgust, Ah Wong had to work. From this work came thought, angry thought at first, but calm and satisfying afterward because before the six months were up, he had invented a new profession. When released, he asked his cousins to write to New York, San Francisco, Denver, and other cities to say to the leading Chinaman that Ah Wong would go to jail in the place of other men for not less than $1,000 in expenses. His cousins laughed again and said that Ah Wong had learned to work but he said nothing about his secret invention. In two months, he went to Providence, where Yi Get was arrested for smuggling opium in his jacket. The sentence was a year at hard labor, but when it was interpreted to Ah Wong, he only smiled broadly. He did not smile in the jail, but when the time came for him to go to work, he was found all doubled up with some strange disability, and both wrists and one shoulder were out of joint. The doctor reduced the dislocations and sent the prisoner to the hospital to recuperate. The food was better in the hospital, the bed was better, and Ah Wong recovered as slowly as he could. When at last he was sent back to work, the strange sickness attacked him again, and the joints of his arms were again dislocated. He never left the hospital after that, and as he had become a burden upon the authorities, he was released in nine months, earning his $1,000 more easily even than he had expected. This time, when he returned to his cousins, he found that he was wanted in Philadelphia and San Francisco at the same time, and he kept both men waiting until the price was bid up to $3,000. At the beginning of his professional career, he was so thin that he could only take the place of laundrymen and laborers in the penitentiaries. But with arms out of joint, he lived on the fattest of hospital fare, and as he gained weight, he took the sentences of rich merchants who were able to pay him more. He permitted himself to be tried for any crime, only drawing the line at murder cases, because, as he said, he was now a rich man and could not afford to leave his money. Last fall, he decided that he was rich enough to retire. He had served in 20 jails, and as he could not do his contortion specialty in any one of them a second time, his field of usefulness had become restricted to cities where there were but a few and those generally law-abiding Chinamen. Therefore, he decided to return to the land of his fathers to enjoy the fruits of his laziness and was planning to reach there in time for the celebration of the Chinese New Year. At the last moment, however, he was summoned to New York by a letter from a man who was about to be deported for being illegally in the country and whose rich friends were willing to pay liberally for a substitute to be sent back to China in his place. The new arrival, then out under heavy bail, was a comparatively thin man, but Ah Wong agreed to take his place for $2,000 and reduce his weight till he fitted the other's clothes. So Ah Wong enjoyed the New Year's festival on a starvation diet of rice and water. When... With his snug fortune, he embarked on the Peking. His passage paid by the government of the United States, he was awaited by a patient little almond-eyed bride, secured through the good offices of his repentant 
family. <laughs> that's one, and that's my plan too. I plan on to uh, enjoy the fruits <laughs> of my laziness. <laughs> <laughs> this not. is this is a, a delightful story, and and I uh, I, I, I do want us to discuss it in detail, but but I hasten to add um, mm-hmm. something that I I believe to be the the case there is a man named James or was a man named James D. Ellsworth. His obituary, a lengthy obituary appeared in the public relations review. He is one of the pioneers of public relations. He began as an itinerant. He tried to make a living with his pen. Um, he sold medicine oil, um, He's born in 1863, and as a child, he drank ammonia at the age of nine. And so he was weak and lazy and could do nothing (laughs) most of his life. But he was great at deception. He was terrific. He was hired by AT&T to help with advertising and eventually became assistant vice president in charge of all of their public relations. Uh, So important was he that, in fact... Um, he is considered a pioneer of the whole field of public relations, mm. a field that that depends upon getting other people to believe your story. And just as a, an interesting aside, why would I think that that particular guy might be this James D. Ellsworth, uh, besides the fact that um, there are all these parallels to his life in Ah Wong's? Mm-hmm. Um, his college classmate founded McClure's Magazine. Mm. So <laughs> I think it's likely it? too. <laughs> yeah. So very interesting. If you like Jesse, I can send you the obituary. I made myself a PDF of it. Sure. Um, but this is a, this is even if you knew none of that, uh, even if this were you know by Monsieur X, um, this is a a scurrilous story, <laughs> but a funny one. And the reason I say scurrilous is that. Um, so much of it depends upon anti-Chinese stereotypes. Yes. Um, and, you know, you, you kind of, at least, I, I don't know what it was like in 1901 to read this, but to me in in, in the 21st century, um, I kind of don't want to enjoy these stereotypes. <laughs> uh, but then at the end, what I, what I realize is that uh, because Americans, at least, can't tell one Chinaman from another. Um, in <laughs> fact, part of the story, right? <laughs> yeah, that's part of the story. Exactly. In fact, because of that, the Chinese can take advantage of Americans. That's right. Um, and that's exactly what happens. They don't want to leave America. It's a, it's a, 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 a goose fit for having golden eggs plucked from it. Um, and indeed he couldn't succeed in China, but, uh, Wong is able to go back where, the fruits of his non-labor um, have worked out. He comes from a long line of actors. Um, it's uh, fascinating how the stereotypes clash. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Yeah, I, I'm I'm in deep sympathy with this story. The, the, this is uh, very unpopular today. Um, I I think it's probably called Orientalism. This is like a, sort of very fashionable thing in the colonial periods where you've got a uh, modern audience who has never been to China or the Middle East or wherever, and yet they're, they've heard of them and they find them exotic and interesting. 
So people who are slightly more familiar with these places, even if they've never gone there, write up stories that are supposed to be set in these locations or from these communities' point of views. And this, the story starts in China, it then goes very quickly to Canada to just dump them in the States. Um, and then he goes back to the United States, uh, back to China from the United States, as is mentioned right in the opening. Um, it's very well constructed. I believe 100% that this is written by an ad man because the story is so tight and um, effective at, at delivering its its very humorous, stereotypical story. Um, it doesn't feel exactly like a Chinese story, but it uses a lot of sort of, uh, not just stereotypes, but cultural realities, right? Um, China at the time in 1901 is not the China of today, but China of 2,000 years ago and China of, 2020 aren't that different uh, in some respects. That is, family is at the center, and dealing with you know ancestors and uh, respect for your elders. That's all in here, and that's still in modern Chinese culture. So the fact you've got a kid who is obviously not going to produce enough wealth to keep the family elders in uh, comfort means he's a burden, not a benefit. And so when they <laughs> threaten to kill him, <laughs> he suddenly perks up his ears. Um, uh, all of my students thought this was very funny. Um, and I, I was saying, you'll like this story because it's about students. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. He has to go to school. Oh, my legs don't work. <laughs> so a servant takes him to school, but he's he's suddenly blind. Um, when his dad takes to homeschooling him, um, he goes deaf. <laughs> when any time comes to do any kind of work, he's just unable to to <laughs> do work. And of course, this is highly appealing to me because this is how I felt as a student too. I don't want to go to school. I don't want to be bored like that. I'd rather stay home and do what I want to do. Um, so they pawn him off on relatives in the United States. Um, <laughs> they think they're getting a, a uh, cousin to come help them in their, their business. So what do they get? They get a cousin who sits around smoking and eating food all day, not helping at all. And when they plan on shipping him back to China, he gets his act together. <laughs> Enough to yeah. come up with his own job and his own path. And uh, th this sort of thing actually did happen, you know, the um, people uh, taking the fall for other people's crimes. You know, oh, yeah. you, you've got you've got a mobster who did some crime and the cops are looking at him real hard. You just get somebody who doesn't mind going to prison, who doesn't have a business to run to uh, take the fall, make the confession if you've got somebody who's confessed to the crime and another guy you're suspicious of, you go with the easy one. <laughs> so this this guy this is kind of uh, it doesn't show that side of the uh, of the the bargain that's being struck here, but the prosecutors will take an easy win, and this guy is willing to you know confess or be you know fall in. I think th this is a story about 
the narrator about the author <laughs> and, they, and also it's delightful because every i think everybody can sympathize with him at points sometimes we feel like we're born tired you know you wake up in the morning and you just don't want to get out of bed well i i have a i, I see why you like it that way i've I do think that one can read it as amusing. In fact, it's, I think the writing is actually quite good in many mm -hmm. ways. Um, but I have a darker use, a view of the use of the stereotypes. Um, there, are, what do we think of of, of Chinese immigrants uh, to the U.S. doing? Remember, the, the the Chinese Exclusion Act is the first law that you, America comes to. Uh, control its immigration, and it's meant to keep America white. Um, what what does America think of uh, of the Chinese? Um, the first one we meet is Ah Wong, who is congenitally deceptive. Conge he comes from a long line of actors. You could think of that as a profession, but if it's in your blood, you are simply deceptive, even to your own family. All right, so this is not good. He's not a nice guy. Of course, neither is his mother, who thinks it'd be good <laughs> if he would fall on his sword. But right, he's not a nice guy. And that tells us something about the Chinese. And it tells us at least how white Americans view the Chinese and how they view uh, the, the, the ancient ways of the Chinese, a long line of deceivers, of actors. We see that acting is crucial here because... The the more Ah Wong succeeds, the fatter he becomes, mm -hmm. the more he seems like a rich person, the more he seems like a rich person, the more easily he can deceive others into thinking that he's a rich person. And that helps his own income go up. Right. So the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. Um, this is a critique of America. Americans can't tell Chinamen apart by their faces but they can tell them apart by their bodies. Can they fit into the clothes of a rich man? Then we treat them one way, otherwise we treat them another way. And what does the Chinaman do in America? The first Chinaman we see in America who hires Ah Wong hits somebody with a flat iron. That is, he runs a laundry business. And then the businesses work their way up. The next guy is being deported for smuggling opium. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, we think of this again as Orientalism. We think of this as typical. And there's another much deeper way, though, um, and that is we think of the Chinese as the flip side of the most significant minority in America in 1901, which is to say black Americans. Ah Wong gets into America through the, quote, underground railway, unquote. Mm -hmm like a lump of lead. Now, the Underground Railway is a term used to allow blacks, to aid blacks in escaping slavery and finding freedom in the non-slave states. This Underground Railway was set up purely for profit, to smuggle uh, Asians into the United States after the passage of the Chinese Exclusion Act. So we have these two different Underground Railways. The black stereotypically in the eyes of white America is brutalized, animalistic, hypersexualized. Black males are bucks um, in that terrible pejorative term. Chinese men are known for their 
small male members and low sex drives. And indeed, through all of Ah Wong's story, there is no question about him wanting to have a wife. Mm-hmm. He manages to get through what must be half his life. And only when he is wealthy can he go back in middle age to China and find a patient almond-eyed wife who has been selected for him by his repentant family. So this story is not just playing on notion that uh, ha, ha, the capitalists don't really care. It's playing on some very nasty ideas about what Chinese people are like. And although the Chinese people do, at least in the person of Ah Wong, manage to ultimately suck at the tit of the U.S. government and the jail systems that uh, of different cities, it's still the same guy. If he wants to, in fact, live a comfortable life, he's got to leave. And he does. The whole story is a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we white Americans come in for some significant criticism. But I think the butt of the joke, the, the, the jester who manages to make good, um, is Ah Wong. And he is, in fact... Not an admirable trickster. He is a trickster <laughs> who is denigrated throughout. It's a, it's a rough story. I, I, I don't like having to laugh at it, but I can see why. Because look at the language. Mm. I mean, for example, we're told on the first page. It's so clever. One may not even notice it. Only subliminally. But disappointed attended their expectations of, of this new, this young child, Ah Wong. But disappointment attended their expectations at every step. <laughs> when the boy was old enough to go to school, he began to limp. Whoa. <laughs> at every step and limp? That's mm-hmm. terrific. Mm-hmm. We're told that he, it was expected that he would be a prop um, for the support of his widowed mother. But instead, he was a troubled some burden. But the word prop, as early as the beginning of the 19th century, means a portable piece of apparatus used in a theatrical presentation. Mm-hmm. Right? So he was going to be just another piece that the acting family uses to make their living. But he turns out not to. The language here is very clever, as mm-hmm. well as obvious things like the the reuse of the uh, the term underground railway. I think it's very well written. It's just uh, a hard story for me to really like, ultimately. Yeah, but that's uh, maybe just me, Jesse. Oh, I, yeah. I, one of the one of the things I see in here that's so funny is that. Um, the stereotypes are are a lot of what's going on. One of the other stereotypes, that one that I don't think you mentioned, is that uh, Chinese are hardworking. That's why they're brought over into the United States to build a railway and into Canada. Um, they'll work for low pay. They'll work hard. Um, and, yeah, they're, they're maybe disreputable. You don't want to hang out with them. Um, but they'll clean your dirty laundry. They'll uh, run the shops that supply the miners with the things they they want. They'll do all the grunt work. Um, and here we have somebody who's headed over to what's called um, uh, Gold Mountain. That's what Canada was called when Chinese were coming over. Um, to, you know, work on the railway, get their fortune, and then not stay. 
but ultimately always return back to China as a rich man and uh, have your pick of the beautiful wives that your family is willing to select for you, right? So uh, this idea of uh, hardworking Chinese is with us today. It's it's built into Confucian beliefs, and uh, those have not gone away, despite you know China having centuries and centuries and millennia of of uh, change. It's sort of the foundation, and so you've got a family who whose expectation is. One day, this boy, after going to school and taking his exams and becoming uh, a man, will help his family. <laughs> and he's right. the opposite. He's So what do they try to do? They try and pawn him off on other relatives who think the same thing. But they haven't met this kid yet. Right? And so when he arrives, they fall for this same problem. And then the United States government has to... Our governments all over the the states have to pay uh, for this this uh, gold bricker, <laughs> right. this guy who stays in the in the prison uh, sanitarium or whatever it is because he's uh, his 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 joints are somehow dislocated. He can't do the hard labor, um, and ultimately he triumphs. He returns home, uh, having created. Uh, I love the language of the opening. Uh, he earned without work his unique profession, which he invented himself. Um, right. uh, just like Ellsworth invents <laughs> PR, Indeed. right? He's he's managed to find his own path, and it isn't you know become a doctor, become a lawyer, which is most it's mostly doctor or pharmacist uh, of the Chinese families I know here. The the pressure is. Make sure that whatever job you you get, it's a high pay and secure job, something everybody needs. Pharmacist, doctor, and and pharmacist is sort of lower down on the tier because, you know, those could be replaced. But doctors, we're going to need them forever. We've always need them. Right? It's not that the it's the prestige; it's the guaranteed income to support that family. When I get old. I need my children to take care of me. And this is this is fundamental to Chinese culture. So yeah. it's it's not it's not a, a stereotype in the sense that um, it's a negative and untrue. It's a stereotype in the sense that it's something that if you if you look for it against the norm and there are exceptions. There are families who are into art and to who are into uh um acting but even in an acting family if you can't act uh on stage you're of no help um i, I think uh, our listeners uh need to be reminded that that many many of your students are actually the children of uh, chinese who mm-hmm. are over in uh, in canada on extended but temporary assignment for a year or five years or whatever as business people and then expect to return and so and you have a lot of first-hand experience absolutely with this. and they when expect... you called this a fairy tale mm-hmm. i think you were not thinking of of asian fairy tales i think you were thinking of things more like seven with one blow yes it's the, a the, the the young man who who lies is is misconstrued what he does he he by accident gets uh, discovers that he is thought better of than uh, he knew he could be and accidentally uh, 
winds up winning everything and getting the girl. Uh, is that sort of what you had in mind? Mm-hmm. And there, there is a knowing, a knowingness of what is going on. I love the black cat because whoever I don't know, I don't know who the editor was. Um, I should probably look into that, but um, the, the stories are chosen. They're very much of a kind. They're amusing and like even if you look at the first page, um, not of the PDF but of the actual story. The block text for the letter T, um, the cat's behind bars. <laughs> yep. In the other stories in this issue, the cat is not behind bars. It's something else, something unrelated or something related, maybe very subtly. On the cover of the issue, um, very bright colors, um, red poppies and white poppies, and then the black cat itself. The black cat is a symbol for witches and I think it's a direct inspiration out of Edgar Allan Poe's story of the same name it's got a kind of subversive and dangerous uh, association but the cat smiles and those poppies are dreamy they're not the poppies of Flanders Fields we haven't had those yet this is 1901 these are the poppies of the dreamlands the the just walking through the field, you're brushing up against them, you feel yourself drifting off, and I love this aesthetic. Sure, it's it feels like it's uh, stereotypical and all that stuff, but I I think that that he could have picked some other uh, ethnic group in any other era because he's not really talking about the Chinese. He's talking about himself. He's talking about this attitude that all humans have, which is, ah, I don't want to get out of bed. Seems like a lot of work. <laughs> and kids, ha- kids learn to lie. And they sort of have to get out of that stage. And I love that we know when he's lying. <laughs> and the way we learn this is, you know, when, when, uh, when he... Um, he hears that his mom is considering having him killed. I mean, his, his deafness suddenly goes away, right? <laughs> it's, it's very selective deafness. He, he has limp, he's blind, he's deaf. Everything about him is terrible except for his stomach. So given the right circumstances, there is always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember... You can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.